And so now it is my delight to introduce our very own Dr. Reverend Patrick Cameron. Thank you, Carmian. Good morning. Happy New Year. I want to set this up a little bit. We're going to um, sing a song, and many people know the song, and then we'll say a prayer. But I really want to uh, suggest, and, and, and a lot of, uh, Laura and I were in Hawaii for uh, nine, ten days. We were, it takes a day to get there, so I've got to subtract the travel time out. You know, the, the great thing is, like, we were watching the temperature in Edmonton, and, and it would be like plus eight. And I said to someone in Hawaii, you have to understand, in Edmonton, it's plus eight for about 15 minutes. So uh, it is nice. It's just not very consistent. <clears throat> so it goes, mm, mm. But um, one of the things in the traveling and did a bit of reading while we were there and is the importance of, of forgiveness. We started a new year, and we're going to have, a, have a, a conversation about that today, but... Forgiveness is just so important and such an important doorway to walk through. And so I'm, I'm just going to invite you to think about something that you're carrying with you that might necessitate forgiveness. And for myself, it's always about myself, my, my experience with others. But what that does is it helps put down a burden, a, a distraction something that we carry. And it, all it requires is willingness. So perhaps you're not... You, and the idea of forgiveness is not that it, it takes one time. As the teacher Jesus said, seven times 70, which he was suggesting is a lot of times. But in the mindfulness and the awareness of how important forgiveness is, and I think as we evolve spiritually, what I find in my own practice is that, that my, my process of forgiveness is quicker and more consistent. And I think that when we can measure it and see it, and commit to that, um, we need to celebrate that. It's always a, it's, it's a constant in my experience. So I just invite you to know that as we go into our prayer today and as we go into our song, to just be present in this moment. Put down that, those ideas that you carry with you that perhaps restrict that flow of life, that vibration of the Most High. And so if you'd like to stand and sing with me, that'd be wonderful. If not, please stay seated. very room there's quite enough love for all the world and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very
And so what I invite you to know with me, and I'm speaking in the first person for myself, but the invitation open to all to agree or not. There is one life, one, one, one vibration, one divine mind, and we, each one of us, myself, is an individualized expression of that. And so what I know as I begin this new time period called 2012, I call forth into my awareness that which is stirring within me, that which I am called to, and I answer the call with a yes. And I also graciously understand that the divine wisdom that lives within me, immersed in all of life, is guiding, directing, resourcing, and inspiring every good thing that allows me to move closer to a more complete expression of the highest and the best in this moment of who I am and whose I am in co-creation with that divine life, that one life, that one mind where there lives no lack, no limitation, no judgment, no blame, no shame, but simply that pristine knowing standing in that divine expression of life purely, unobstructed, and knowing everything necessary is here now. And so I give thanks for this, this beautiful teaching, for this healing teaching, for a teaching that says, yes, perfection now, and yet more to experience and more to express. All of it beautiful, all of it supported in resource, and I stand in that divine flow on that green edge of growing, and gratitude and appreciation, knowing every good thing, spoken and unspoken, expressed here today. For this I give thanks, and so it is. Thank you. Thanks for standing in prayer with me and sitting in prayer with me. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing when we come together in a prayerful state of being and, and, the, and the peace and, the, and the, the, the possibility and the potential. And th- thank you, Brown, for being part of it. I told Brown that when they do my memorial service, stick one of his CDs of playing that song into the, the urn and I'll take it with me. It'll be, who's, you know, have you ever thought about the soundtrack of your life? Who's the soundtrack of your life? You know? I, I still love that image of when I get there, I, I know that John Bellucci is going to greet me and go, huh, 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 did you like that? How about that? Wasn't that something? So we begin a new year. And, it's, and, and the, the wonderful thing about this, we're always beginning new. Every day is a, is a new opportunity. But the, the ritual of going into the new year, I think, is so important. And I, I've, I've seen a number of people today that I haven't seen in a while, which is wonderful. I just think it's wonderful because we're, we're called to this. I, oh, and here's Martin. And I thought about Martin all week coming back. I didn't even know you were, were, gonna, you were scheduled to play. And here he sits with his beautiful wife. And where's Angus? He's playing oh, he's playing downstairs. Awesome. This, this works. But I thought about Martin. I didn't know. I, I, yeah, t- typically, Brown and I don't. I just know the right people are always showing up. And I thought a lot about Martin this week. So to have you here, even though you're not able to sing today, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Such a wonderful gift of music that helps transform our lives. It really is. It's, uh, music at, at the highest form is a, a form of prayer. So who's the soundtrack of your life, you know? The Grateful Dead? I don't know. But it's a new year of new relationships, new opportunities, maybe a new job, maybe a new career, maybe a new partner, maybe a new um, uh, location for you to live. But what it is, the new year is always the blank slate. We have a blank slate. We start out at it's, it's a canvas that hasn't been painted on yet. 
And the wonderful thing is we can paint on it whatever we want. But if we, if we aren't mindful enough, what we end up doing is painting the same picture that we painted in 2011. And for some of you, that might be really good. I'd like to paint a new picture. I'd like to try something new. And I, but I don't want to throw away all this, the great stuff, the foundation of that. And we are, we are a teaching that supports that idea. You know, people wonder why this year looks like the last year. Well, without the significant shifts and change in consciousness, very little is going to look new and different for us in 2012. We're a community. We're a trans-denominational community. We're a trans-faith community. You do not have to be uh, a, a recovering anything to be here with us. You can be a Catholic and come here once in a while, although I won't tell the priest if you show up because I know how that works. Well, truly, when I, when I was raised Catholic, we couldn't even go to another Catholic church. We had to ask for special dispensation because we were on holiday and we couldn't get there. I mean, but you can be Jewish, you can be a Muslim, you can be a Wicca, you can be whatever you want. We honor all traditions here. In other words, you can be as miserable here as you are in your home church. <laughs> Isn't that a great feeling to know that you can bring your consciousness wherever you are? We're a new thought movement founded in the middle of the 1800s in the, in the upper east quadrant of the United States, but it filtered into Canada. We teach the perennial truth. We teach the perennial truth. Our challenge is always in using it. It's one thing to have the awareness and to read the books and to have the experience, and it's one of the reasons is we have our sign-ups for classes, why I think classes are so important, because you, you see yourself coming and going in those classes, and in the community and in those groups, you really get some insights because you make the commitment. You say to yourself, I'm going to immerse myself in a course of study that my intention with it, and I, that's what I'm talking about today is getting centered, our intention is so important. And without that coaching, without that, uh, that environment of learning and that environment of commitment, it's very difficult to uh, see any traction happen in our lives. And that's why we do the, the teaching. That's why we do the classes. Making something new in our lives and the power of intentions. So what is your theme? Our theme this year is 366 Days of Richer Living. 366 days because of sleep here. But what if, what, what if you and I committed to improving 1% every day this year? What would your life look like? What would you look like in 366 days? 366% improvement. We were in uh, uh, Kona, Hawaii. And, and, it's in, and in Kona, they have, that's where the, uh, one of the premier Ironmen competitions is run every year. And Laura and I walked it. Uh, we, we walked from the end of the, where they do the marathon. So they, um, they swim for uh, two and a half miles. Then they run for 20. They run a marathon. And then they bike for, I don't know, 118 miles. Why? <laughs> Why? But it was, it was amazing because we were walking along, you know, we, we walked it, and then people were running it every day, and just, you could just see these elite athletes. And it was just so, it was just, I mean, just amazing. These people were just so fit, and they're trekking along. And I realized that, you know, there's a commitment, there's an intention, there's something about that. And for many of those people, it's not even about winning, because the, the cream of the crop are the ones that win it. It's just simply about finishing. 
And it's about stretching oneself. So there really is, at the end of the day, there's no competition other than the competition and the challenge for oneself. And that's at that physical level. So what is your theme and your intention? Before we, uh, before we left, I talked about it last month in December, about three things that you'd like to see happen this year. Three things is a very manageable um, uh, component for us. Steve Jobs used to say to his staff at the Apple computer, pick three things this year, guys, and they would focus on those. And they would stay on those till they completed one, and then they would move on to the next because they knew how important it was. So the three things that, that are the theme for your life, it's important to have a theme. It's important to, to make a commitment because where we, where we place our, our consciousness, what we dwell upon, we become. In Scripture, it says, in the beginning. See, in Scripture, what Scripture is, it's metaphor. It's metaphor for a technology that works in the beginning. In John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We activate this divine process of creativity with our intention, with our word. It says, let there be light. It does not follow, let there be light with, I hope. Or, let there be light. Let's see what happens. Let there be light. I don't feel I deserve. Let there be light. Maybe. It says that in the beginning was the word. And the word is what activates it. So to live a life of intentionality is just so important. It's crucial. In Lynn McTaggart's book, The Field, she talks about a study in here that I, I really think I'll, I just want to share briefly with you. It was age pa- AIDS patients. And over 10 months, 400 AIDS patients were divided into two groups. And only half, unbeknownst to them, so they didn't know this, but this is about the study of prayer. It wasn't even about, well, and it wasn't a specific form of prayer. It was many different modalities. The 400 people were all praying in their own way for this, this uh, study group. Uh, they were prayed for. Well, in this group, they were prayed for by a Christian prayer group outside the hospital. All, and they uh, did studies previous to this with people just simply thinking in their own way, their own positive thoughts about healing for the group. So all patients had been evaluated, and there was no statistical difference in their condition before treatment, all of them AIDS patients. However, after treatment, those who'd been prayed for had significantly less severe symptoms and fewer instances of pneumonia, and also required less assistance on a ventilator and fewer antibiotics than the patients who hadn't been prayed for. So interesting, because they're trying to measure this. And what she says later is that even human expectation could skew the results. And this is what I think is really important about this. She said, you need to control... You need to control for the effects of hope or such factors as relaxation on the outcome of trials. Cuddling animals or even handling the contents of a Petri dish could potentially bias the results or could, as could the act of traveling to a healer or even a warm pair of hands. And what this is saying is it's not a straight line. What this is saying is that we all start in a different place. Each and every one of us unique in our own experiences. And so to, to think that, so it's not a competition. We start where we are, and we do the best we can, and we move forward. And that's what, and I think it's important because it's very easy to come to this as we come to many things and try to measure it and say, well, gee, a year ago I set this intention and this intention or whatever it was. When we, when we do this work, and I will reference this, 
we've done the, this Prosperity Plus class a number of times here in the community, and we're going st- to start it in, in a couple of more weeks. And one of the core principles in it is this idea of creating a vision for our lives. What is it that we want to see happen? And the, the statement always begins with, with the present moment of saying, I'm so grateful and happy that my life reflects the following, or my life is expressing the following. Now, it's not typically, it's never the things that we, it's expressing in the moment. What it's doing is it's talking about the vision, the possibility, the intention, and then the vision. And we work with the vision, and we ask people to read it over and over and again. And so part of the dilemma is that many times you'll see people, because what we'll teach in this teaching is that we don't want to outline. And outlining is that, you know, we're looking for the right and perfect mate, the RPM. And the, and the, the RPM that we see may be happily married with six children and decide that's our mate. You know, it, it doesn't work. <clears throat> Typically, it doesn't work. The point being is that what, what that, that person or that relationship might reflect is the qualities that we're seeking. I mean, that at the end of the day, which is the metaphor. So it's not literal, it's the metaphoric uh, qualities of that relationship or that individual. We'd like to be in relationship with that, that idea. And it helps us. So we want to get specific with the vision. And then people will say, well, if I get specific, am I outlining? Well, that depends because I'm not in your consciousness. I'm not in your awareness. But why we, why we work with intention, setting the intention, setting the theme for our lives and working on it and working on it is that as we clarify and we get more and more specific with the vision statement, it allows our intellect to have something to chew on. It has our, this, this because we think, have you noticed your mind? Does it think most of the time? Julie, does your mind think most of the time? She's, sh- she's shaking her head no. Well, I know you're unique in that, so I appreciate your honesty. It gives us something to think about. Because what wants to happen, see, the, the, the interesting thing is, I think that we do choose. We are here, but eventually as you move deeper and deeper into your spiritual reality of spirit in your life, you realize that there is, we are all called in a certain direction. I went to Los Angeles years ago, and I wanted to be a famous actor, and I had a great experience. And, and what I wanted to do was go and grow that consciousness and grow that experience. What I ended up growing, and I had some success with that. It was wonderful and great to be part of my history, and I'm grateful that I had the courage to step out in the unknown, the mystery. But what it grew was a carpenter, and it, it, and it helped me communicate. It helped me with those things. So many things that grew for me. And in the carpentry... So when we do these things, I just want to, I want to track these three things. It's important to know why we're doing. Why are we doing what we're doing? The way we're doing it. And what do I want to see at the end? And what are you going to hold as part of your unfolding? You know, in other words, what are you going to do along the way every day as practice to help nurture that idea? And so I got into the carpentry, and I did it as a means to an end because I was going to be famous, world famous one day, and I'd be me and you know whoever was famous at the time would be making movies together. <clears throat> it's kind of like I used to tell people that you know George Clooney and I went to the different grade schools together. We did. <laughs> he was going to grade school. I was going to grade school. We just weren't going to grade school in the same school. But why are we doing why we're doing it? And so when I got into the carpentry as a means to an end, I didn't realize that what Spirit was doing was growing a builder. Growing that, and, and that became my modality more than anything. Well, the metaphysics was part of it, and it became deeper and deeper and deeper. But, so someone said to me, we'd like a kitchen. I said, okay, let's, we'll, let's measure the space, and let's talk about where you'd like things. 
And so we would set the intention to create a new kitchen. And we would pick out door styles and materials and countertops and, and, they, and appliances. We needed to know all the sizes so everything would fit along the walls. And, and, and is this not a great example of our lives? Our consciousness is a certain size. When I say three things, you get, if you master one of those three things in a week, you can, you can put another thing in. But I, but I think one of the ways that we stay in chaos or confusion is to have so many things that we're drawn in so many directions that we get nothing done. And so it's to systematically check things off in our experience. So we'd start with a set of plans. We'd start with a set of drawings, say, this is how the kitchen's going to look. And for me, it was never about the economics of it. It was always about the, the creativity and the opportunity and the challenge. So what do you want to see at the end? Well, we had the drawing. We had the picture. So it was really easy. We'd have that. Someone would draw it or I would draw it. We'd have that picture up. And then what am I going to do as part of the unfolding of that? Well, it would be to, be, to bring the precision to it, to bring the mindfulness and the care, really required care. And if I wasn't careful with each piece, something would get dented or damaged. I mean, I went through all of the pitfalls of all that stuff. You know, that you can stain a piece of wood and clear coat it, and then if it gets damaged, go back and stain a piece of wood and clear coat it. And because of the humidity changes and because it may be 20 degrees difference that day, it won't look the same. It's really frustrating to go back to the customer and say, no, it is the same. It's the same stain. It's the same finish. No, it's not. Because it doesn't look the same. But it's very interesting, and it just demands care. Demands care. It demands attention. I remember the first, first commission I ever had was about a 25-foot length of, of a buffet cabinet, all the way down drawer, and just a simple door and drawer, 25 feet. And I would draw the, I would lay it out, and every time I draw it, and I was drawing and marking it out, marking it out, marking it out, I'd get to the end, and I was always a half inch too long. And finally, I called a buddy of mine that kind of mentored me, and he said, well, have you been sharpening your pencil? And I hadn't been sharpening the pencil. I had this old framing pencil that had a lead on it about an eighth of an inch wide. So by the time I got to the end, I was always a half inch too long. So I, had to, it, I spent a day and a half trying to figure out what was wrong with me. But it requires that. And I think that it's a great example of the metaphor of, in our own lives. It just simply, it takes as long as it takes. When we were, in, we were leaving um, Honolulu to go to the airport, and, and there was a cab driver picked us up. And this young guy, and so when I, one of the challenges I find is when I travel, if I tell people I'm a minister, they want to know what tradition, and then they want to, and then pretty soon, not always, but frequently, it, we, it turns into this uh, uh, interesting conversation. <laughs> and so Laura said, let's try something new. Instead of telling people you're a minister of religious science, why don't you just say you're a storyteller? I said, okay, I'll try that. So I get in the cab, and the guy says, oh, and we get talking, and... He's this young, handsome guy, and he's, he's driving along, and, and uh, turns out he'd been an actor in Los Angeles. I said, wow, me too. He said, well, what do you do? I said, I'm a storyteller. He said, really? How do you do that? And I said, well, you know, and pretty soon I start describing what I do, which is, he said, well, are you a minister? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> we tried. Anyway. But it, it was a wonderful conversation. But what he shared is he'd gone to Los Angeles and he did the, he did the acting thing. And we started talking about where he studied. And, and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, in part of that culture, there's a lot of uh, cross-pollination of things. And so, turns out, um, he said, I got sick. And it changed everything for me. And I think when we're, we're moving in a certain direction, things will happen in our lives that look like um, disappointment or failure. 
And he said, you know, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. I had a stroke. There's this young, fit guy, and he had a stroke. And he said, I was lying in the hospital, and the doctor said to me, you, know, you, you might not make it. And he said, I had this baby at home, and his wife that I loved dearly. And he, he said, I realized, you know, this acting means nothing to me. I want to be there for my family. And I think what happens as we move along, we, we, the priorities shift and change for us. And I said, I can completely identify with what you're talking about. Because we make a story up about what that end result will be. And it's really the, the moment-by-moment care and mindfulness of what we're growing, which is the consciousness, so that we can be the, 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 the finest expression of, of uh, an individual that stands in co-creation with spirit. Each one of us is that divine spark of life. We are the individualized expression of life. And there's a perseverance that's required and a diligence and a care to continue to grow that day by day, like those elite athletes that run that, that amazing race. And, and, uh, and, and all of us, we're all on our journey. The great thing about that Ironman is that life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, and what does it take for us to set the intention? What is the theme for your life this year? To be the, the finest expression of spirit in form, expressing and revealing and creating and bringing opportunities and awarenesses into our life so we bless everyone, we bless ourselves. We can't bless others unless we become the thing itself. And it's a shifting and changing. I'm, I'm reading a wonderful book by Richard Rohr right now, which I'm going to use probably next month, called Falling Upward. And he talks about the second half of life. The first half of life is all about the box. We all need a box to live in. We all need, we all need conditioning. I'm so grateful for the, 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 the saints and the holy cards and all the nuns and priests that helped shape my perception of, of, of spirituality. And then to be able to look at it and say, you know, some of this stuff's not lining up. It's not making sense. But without that foundational piece, my experience would be different. All of it is important. My experience in Los Angeles was, was so important to shaping me and realizing, you know what? What I'm after is that, is that living in that, that co-creation and that freedom and that expression of life that is beautiful and powerful and wonderful. And, 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 and there's a reciprocity. When I did the cabinet work, I, many times I would give it away. People say, well, you're doing the kitchen. How about doing the living room and the bathroom too? And, and so I'd have to stop, and then I'd have to say, well, and the first few times, oh, sure, you know, there's enough money for everything. And then I realized I'm working six months for free because my priority was that I had to give and give and give. That's the way I was raised, always take care of everybody first. And then I realized, you know what? By doing that, I'm not, I'm not providing for my family. I'm not allowing myself the space and the time. It has to, it has to be a win-win. And so I had to grow those skills and tools. I worked with counselors. I worked with, with practitioners to grow a, a, enough sense of asking for what I need. Because my, my early training was really one of, of um, a sense of not good enough. You don't deserve. Who are you? Put others first. And when we're, when we're forced to do that, there's a different vibration about it than realizing we do want to put... We do want everyone to succeed. I want everyone to be successful. But not because I'm forced to think that way or forced to do it, but because I know that there's only one here and your good is my good. You thriving. When you're thriving, I'm thriving. Energetically. We're always in communication. A number of people said to see the movie Thrive. And I watched a good portion of it yesterday. And it's a movie about our divine nature is one of thriving. And I believe that's true. I believe we're all called to thrive. 
And so I watched it, and there's a lot of things in there about uh, energy, and, and, and what it talked about at the end of it is that innovation is important. What will bring us through this is innovation. It always has. We are the innovators. We're the people changing the world. We're the cultural creatives. We're the ones that say, you know, it's not doom and gloom. There's a new day. There's a new possibility. I pulled an article up off the internet called uh, Perseverance Through Adversity. And it talks in there about, uh, initially, about the, the Great Depression in the United States, which affected the world. It affected Canada. In, 19, uh, in 1920, unemployment was at 25%. 1933, I'm sorry, 1929, it was at, at uh, 25%. 1933, it was at 33%. Three out of 10 people were, were uh, unemployed. And jobs at that time were very scarce. Many people were selling apples on the corner. And it wasn't until the 40s that that shifted and changed. The Dust Bowl, people's farms were lost, people lost everything. And yet, we moved through that. And then the Second World War, there was gas rationing and people, there was all kinds of things. People were, were forced to change everything to help bring this, um, some, some, some balance and equilibrium. And that war was a call to all of us globally to bring things back into balance. We just went through the tour of uh, Pearl Harbor. It was just so profoundly uh, powerful. I, I, I had no idea. You go there and it's, there's the, Arizona is under the water. There's a memorial on top. And it was just amazing. And it's, a, it's just a sacred site. You walk upon this ship. You're on the memorial and the ship is right underneath. You know, like a, it creates a, a cross. And 1,100 sailors... And we found out, you know, you don't know the details of it, 1,100 sailors, over 1,100 on that ship. What had happened the night before in the Navy, I didn't know this till a few days ago, in the Navy, Reveille is at 6 a.m. every morning. Everyone's up at 6 a.m. Well, what happened on the Arizona is there was a Battle of the Bands the night before. And as a reward, the battle, the, the ship that, that and, and the Arizona came in second, and their reward was they got to sleep in. And so they, got, they were going to sleep till 10 a.m. that morning. That was their reward. And so there were over 1,100 sailors that were in their bunks sleeping when the bomb hit the, the ship. And they went down so fast, they're all buried right there. They never recovered the bodies because they were incinerated. The ship burned for two and a half days. And so those things happened. The Second World War. We've gone through some of the 70s, the, the, the Cold War, until the Soviet Union fell apart. And all the things that that required to duck and cover. Remember that when you were in school? When I was in school, we'd, we practiced ducking and covering. And people were building bomb shelters. All of it throughout history. If you look back, we have the benefit of recorded history. There have been people, we've, the, 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 the divine nature in all of us has continued to move forward despite the adversity. All of us have had those challenges in our lives. And, and what it requires is that diligence. It's required to look at it and say, yeah, this was not the way I planned it, but I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is use that to refine my awareness and my consciousness and my intention so that I am, the Word is with me and I am the Word. I am my Word, and I'm going to dwell upon it. I'm going to flesh it out and flesh it out what it looks like, what I want it to look like. What, is my, what do I want my consciousness to reflect and express? And I believe that the paradox is as we move deeper and deeper into co-creation with spirit, eventually, as Richard Rohr says, we become delightful passengers. That someone else is driving and we make occasional suggestions because we're living in that divine connection, that divine vibration of the Most High. 
And it's a powerful, wonderful thing. But I think all of this work, what we teach is that I think that what happens in our evolution spiritually is that, that we do show up with the agendas and the intention and the attention. And that's always important to do. My, my intention this year personally is to be the finest expression of divine wisdom and life that I can possibly be. And for me, what that means is that I don't know. But I do know that in each moment, in each interaction that I have, if I've done my spiritual work, if I show up in, the, in that divine connection with, with one, the oneness of life, I'll, I'll know what is called for in the moment. I still want to take the trips. I still want to be able to travel the world and, and see things and enjoy relationships and enjoy family and friends and community. This is such a wonderful, wonderful teaching. To have this in our lives... For me to come back here and this is, you know, you are my family. You are part of the, 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 the seams, the, 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 that seamless connection of family. But we all are. Even the ones I disagree with. Even the ones I don't like. Those, there's the challenge. But what I can do when that shows up in my life is that doesn't represent me. I understand and I, I respect your opinion to, dis, to, to have that opinion, but it doesn't represent me. So that I don't have to fight it. I can just simply see it for what it is and say I, I can walk through that and I can, I can be uh, affected by that or not. And it's mindfulness. It's, it's just the awareness to be in life and to start to make your own choices and your own decisions based on what your intention is. How do you want to live? How do you want to be? It is a blank canvas. We get to paint it. I just don't want to paint it with the old consciousness. I want to paint it with the new consciousness. One that I love, uh, David White, when he talks about James Cavanaugh, old Irish poet, and he used to always say, me I throw away, sufficient to the day. I watched that movie Thrive, and it's, it's the story of energy and what's available, and, and then there's a few people that control everything in the world, this trilateral commission and all that. And the stories have been around forever. It's a new telling of a, a same story. But what I know is that the only way it's going to change is if, if individually and collectively consciousness continues to alter. I don't want to be the guy that's controlling the world. I think, what a crummy job, this trilateral commission and controlling the banking and the interest rates. And in power of what? It's, it's a smokescreen. It's it's we've made up this whole thing. But I know that as we collectively wake up and make new choices, everything shifts and changes. And that's where it's always been done. It's always where the powerful stuff happens. And you and I are part of that. And it's easy to fall asleep. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to be disappointed. But our disappointments are there to shape us. This is, not, this is a really simple teaching. Really simple. It's just not easy. Have you noticed? Somebody told me, uh, uh, and I want to thank Reverend Connie. She sits here for, she spoke last week. Somebody said, oh man, she was just great. I said, yeah, she's great. You better, she said, they said, you better watch out. I said, Why? Well, she's so good. And I said, we want that. That's a wonderful thing. Their spirit expressing, inspiring. Reverend Connie Phelps, Reverend Catherine McLeod, all the wonderful ministers and practitioners here. Man, there's no competition. I said when I came here, nine and a half years ago, I came here and said, I'm here to work myself out of a job. I got a really great job offer in Hawaii when I was there. Little shack on the beach. I'm going to be selling uh, snorkel gear and uh, <laughs> wakeboards. 
Ah, life is, life's beautiful. Life's beautiful. And, it's, it, and you know what? This whole thing about intention and not tension, we can do it with a lot of fun. If we're not doing it with fun, just stop it. In fact, if you can't have fun coming here, you, I, I lovingly release you back to your faith tradition of origin. <laughs> you can't walk in the door with a smile on your face? Maybe that's what we'll do. Got to have a big smile on your face. Got to show your teeth. I'm just kidding. But we should be, I I suggest, we shouldn't. I don't want to should on you. (laughs) To do with with a sense of joy and and anticipation. You know, there's something wonderful that's happening here. I came here years ago. I borrowed that from Michael Beckwith. And it's really about nurturing and giving birth to the new possibility. A new possibility. We have, so many, we have so much recorded history. We have the technology. It starts in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was the divine intelligence of the infinite allowing there to be light and darkness, all metaphor. We've all had the light. We've all had the darkness. And then we took dominion and we named every creature. If you read through the story, it's all metaphor for the technology. The word is what activates it. And that's why it's so important to get clear about it. And then if you don't know, work with a practitioner. Write it down. Start to journal. Find a way to say, this is what my life stands for right now. And you can change it and get really specific as if you're outlining it. Speak the word. Write the word down and then let it happen. And when you find yourself in your interior coming up with reasons for it not to happen, that's when you go to work with spiritual practice. Eradicate and dissipate the things that no longer serve you. Those lifelong messages we've got of, of diminishing ourselves and our consciousness because that is not what we're here for. We're here to express life powerfully, wonderfully, and beautifully. And to, be, and to be the finest expression of this. If you're looking for the right and perfect mate or the right and perfect job or the right and perfect whatever it is, if you're living in that, if you're living from the Christ consciousness, if you're living from that Buddha nature, you will be irresistible. They'll be lining up to talk to you. They will. The things that we're looking for in the, other, in the relationship, are we those things? That's how consciousness works. That's the law of attraction. And so it is really our opportunity and our joy and our possibility to embody and live from that. And then by law of attraction, we're just we're propelled in that direction. The right people, the right opportunities, the phone starts ringing off the hook. And that's, that's who we are. Then we become ambassadors for this beautiful, powerful teaching that, that is in concert with all the wonderful teachings in the world. This, in, this information is out there. I'm reading Richard Rohr. He's a Franciscan uh, priest. And he's, and he's bringing our perspective, the metaphysical perspective, to the, the, that tradition. It's interesting. I'm interested to see what happens with him because in the past when that's happened, that body of intelligence and that political system has pushed that aside. But it's, we're giving birth to this, and we see it happening. And so it's powerful and wonderful. So 2012 is our blank canvas. What shall you write upon it? What is your theme? What is your mission? What is your intention? How will you, and why? Why do you care about that? What does the finished product look like to you? See, and the, and the wonderful thing about that is we all get to discover that together. And we, we, get, we do get sidetracked sometimes. We do lose our way. And it's okay that's when the forgiveness is so important. I forgot, and I'm bringing myself back to this now. And that's just powerful and wonderful. 
The Course in Miracles says that the most sacred place on earth is where an ancient hatred becomes a present-day love. Where the most, an ancient hatred becomes a present-day love. That is our opportunity. That's our possibility. So it is. Blessings. Come on, Joe. Tell you what, I'm going to let my hair grow just like that guy. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs>